This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and today I am stoked Stoked, I tell you, to welcome Tomo Peniket to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Tomo Peniket is busy. It took a while for us to make this happen. 16 months, in fact. We kept scheduling an interview date and time, and then, well, like, pop over to his IMDb page and you'll see what happened. Tomo is busy filming queer horror films like The Sinners, where he played a pastor whose daughter is the ringleader of a group where all the members are living embodiments of one of the seven sins, and the indigenous drama Kiri and the Dead Girl, which marks the directorial debut of Monkey Beach star Grace Dove, and Circle of Deception, where he's implicated in the death of a businessman played by Paul McGillian. Like, who'd ever want to kill Paulie? There are other projects too, stories he's developing and causes he cares about, you know, and then there's the pandemic. Like there's a lot. As I say, Tomo's been busy, so I am beyond grateful to host him here today. Tomo is one of my favorite actors to watch do his thing on screen because he's transformative. Like, I don't know how he does it, but he alters his DNA or something on a molecular level for each role because I have a hard time believing that the guy from Battlestar Galactica and Strange Empire and Supernatural and Rift World Chronicles and Bomb Girls is all the same guy. But it is. So today we're going to finally have this long overdue talk and figure out the hows and the whys and the WTFs of, of how Tomo does that thing he does. Tomo, hi. Yeah. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Like, you, finally. You flatter me, and I'm, I'm absolutely, uh, it's my pleasure being here. I'm so excited that we finally got to do it. And I, uh, I want to thank you for being so patient with me, because that's exactly what it was. We, it took 16 months. I, I, was, I was thinking a year, but, you know, 16 months. I went back and I did the math. We're I pushing math. a year and a half here. That's way too long. Anyway, I'm just happy to be here. Well, there, you're not here. It's still pandemic times. If you're listening to this far in the future, um, we are at the, we're kind of at the, I don't want to say the end of the pandemic, but we're definitely entering the stage where I think like 62% of, of people in Canada are vaccinated now, Is right? Canada like, or is it BC? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I know that we're doing a little bit better out out here. Yeah, uh, you're right. And, uh, yeah, I hope it gets better out east. But yeah, we're we're things are starting to look up. You know, yeah, after the announcements they made the other days. So yeah, we're all, yeah, we're happy. Yeah, it's about May twenty eighth, twenty twenty one. 
So, or is it May 20th? I don't know. It's just time. Time is a trampoline uh, because it's the <laughs> pandemic. So, um, okay. So first of all, do you have a response to the thesis statement? I always offer my guests the opportunity to respond. I think it was fantastic. You, okay. you flattered me. You, you said wonderful things about me and the actor in me just wants to tell you to go on. Please go on. <laughs> uh, you know, the humble, humble side of me was uh, you were, you were overly kind and gracious and, uh, and uh, I, I, I can only thank you for all the wonderful things you said. No, it wasn't flattery. It's all true. And I really do want to figure out the, the hows and whys and WTFs of that thing you do. Um, okay, so during the pandemic, I have been starting all of my conversations asking from my heart this question. So I'm going to ask you, how are you? You know what? I'm doing good. I'm doing really well considering, uh, you know, this last year. I, 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 like anybody else, have had many times where I am, and I know a lot of us have said this because, I, you know, I see our community in particular or even just friends be outside of our film community. People are just like, you know, and I, I excuse the language, but fuck it. I'm, oh, I'm you over. can swear on the podcast. You can I'm absolutely over. swear. How many times have you heard it? Like, I'm over this. I can't do that. I'm over this. And people have been saying it. And then, you know, you get those little reminders. And I always remind myself when I get to that point where I start off, like there's nothing worse than waking up in that headspace and trying to get out of it and sometimes fighting it all day. Yeah. And then there's other days where you just have to give yourself a pass and be like, it's okay to be over it. And just, you know, try and deal with it in whatever way you can. Because there's a lot of people who have it a lot worse. I know people have lost loved ones. Yeah. Um, I know people who have had COVID. Mm. Uh, you know, all the frontline workers, all the people who are out there every day being, you know, put, putting their lives at risk so we can have, so we can remain safe and we can have any bit of normalcy is, is uh, those people are heroes. And I, mm. I don't want to, um, I feel like sometimes I may be disrespecting them by, uh, you know, speaking about my situation. Because when I, when I reflect on the last year, there's been so many um, formative and, uh, and wonderful things that have come of it. You know, oh. yeah, honestly, just, you know, the the forced uh, presence of just being with your family and not mm. distracted and not traveling. Like I've traveled for most of my career. You know, there's a month where I'm I'm not uh, leaving Vancouver. It's odd. You know, mm. it's, you know, two months, especially this last year. I really didn't go anywhere other than a couple trips that were essential travel to uh, grab my oldest son. I didn't go anywhere. And that was really interesting for me being a professional actor for 20 years, not having to leave yeah. and just being in the house for the most part and, and, and uh, with the family. And, um, and uh, as a result, there were, uh, there were a lot of things that I, I was, uh, I realized that I had been avoiding mm. conversations that I hadn't had things that I wasn't doing with myself or I wasn't being honest about. And uh, I think a lot of people, it seems to be, in the conversations that I've had, a lot of people have felt that. They've been like, you know, there was things that I, I realized that I was avoiding my life or conversations I wasn't having that because of this pandemic, because of being forced to be present and at home, um, um, those things were um, uh, were put in front of me and, you know, you had to deal with them and for the better. I think I've, there's been some real gr growth this year personally. Yeah. I'd like to think that everything that has occurred this year, last year that we've all been through, there's a real there hasn't been a world war in a very long time. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's collectively been a human experience that we can all relate to. And yeah, the share. human trauma, the global trauma that we're all sharing in some yeah, way. Yeah, we're all sharing, you know. Yeah. 
there hasn't been anything like that in a very long time. You know, it's usually happening to someone else. There's a different country or it happened to us. And, you know, yeah. it's, you know, there's a, there's a faraway land where there's been a disaster or there's this conflict or that war and, you know, we're yeah. affected by it, but it's, there hasn't been an experience in, in, in recent times where, where humanity has all faced this thing, this, this pandemic together yeah. the, and everything that's come with it, the restrictions, the sickness, the death, the uh, the the disagreements about it and how to operate and mm. you know the, the varying uh, attitudes towards it it's been a it's been a real it's been a trip and I can only imagine as an artist um, as actors that's going to fuel our work yeah. it's gonna be really interesting for me personally to get back in there and um, and do my thing in class and even do it on screen I have had the opportunity to work during the pandemic not a ton but more than some people and. Uh, and what was that experience like? You know, the first time that you stepped back yeah. on set, you know, uh, in, in the midst of the pandemic, you know, what was, what did that feel yeah. like for you? Yeah. So I was just starting a movie. I was just starting a, 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 a Lifetime movie and uh, with Diane Neal. And we were starting this movie um, and things were already happening with the pandemic shows were starting to shut down every yeah. day in Vancouver. So this was like mid March and we were supposed to start on the 16th and the word <laughs> on the street, because as you remember, a word on the street, the shows like Riverdale just shut down. Yeah. Like COVID things were happening. And I remember thinking, man, this movie is not going to make it. They're, they're going to shut it down and yeah. they shut it down. Nobody at that time had any sense of how long this shutdown was going to be because everyone was like, even Netflix and, you know, a lot of these networks were like, you know, we're going to shut down a couple of weeks to play it safe and then things should get better and then we'll yeah. be back. So we went in and we did a, what I thought was going to be the full day of work. We did half, half a day and we got shut down. Uh, they shut us halfway through. Um, and uh, I had, you know, a lot of people in the industry too, friends of mine who were like, why are you going to work? Things are, people are getting this everywhere. It's blowing up. Productions are shutting down. I don't even know why the union's allowing this. Mm. Luckily though, you know, they were able to insurance wise, it was, it was force majeure. And we, we were able to, the production was able to say, look, um, we're going to shut it down, but we're hoping to come back. That's the plan. Yeah. Um, cut to four months later, things, if you remember last summer, they eased up a bit. They weren't yeah. quite as bad. There was a lot of miss. Uh, I, I don't think they quite had a grasp of where things were and how bad they were with COVID. Yeah. And so they would ease restrictions somewhat and people were kind of, you know, they gotten over the initial anxieties of being obsessed and, and worried about, you know, COVID being on, you know, the, 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 the door handle and, you know, it lives, the virus lives for two weeks and, you know, you can walk by someone 12 feet away. I mean, there was always a new fantastical headline that was like, COVID can do this or what have you. The, the press had us really, you know, hostage, I felt. Yeah. I personally at that point was like taking a step back from uh, uh, reading about it because I'm like, it's not serving me in any Good way. plan. Stay yeah, off of the Twitter during that time, right? Took me a while. It, sa it saved me. I had to for my headspace. And also, let's be honest, with everything that was happening politically, uh, down south too is just you know it's just uh, right, yeah. oh my god it just make you crazy and I've also taken a step back from that but um, we went back to set and uh, the protocols that they had in place were um, they were great you could see that they were going above and beyond we had a COVID captain on set mm. you could see how they had done the work they put real careful thought into how can we get our industry uh, back to work and uh, healthily um, um, it, you know, 
continuing productions without compromising our workers. And and they were doing a great job. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, the, the COVID captain, many times he came in, we're about to start a scene. He's like, hey, man, you just put down your mask. I'm just about to rehearse. We're just about to run it and do a blocking thing. Yeah. You know? a little annoyed more than a few times and then I would catch myself and be like, okay, no, I hear you, man. And, uh, uh, thank you. But, um, let's get a little more timely together. I'm just about to say my lines here and I've got a, you know, huge monologue here, my friend. So work with me. And yeah. he got better at it and everyone was working together. Everyone was trying to do their part. This was all new. I mean, for him, new, for you, like for the, yeah. Must 20 have years of doing something, you got to wear a mask. Yeah. Sabrina, I cannot tell you how many times I had a water bottle and I'd be, you know, we'd be in the green room and we're like running lines and I'd go, think. <laughs> <laughs> we're wearing a screen. I, and also, I always had like a sweat mark here. <laughs> On our production, I think, God bless those girls, I think they were some of the first to do it. They discovered, because the, the mask also would, uh, the screen, the shields would make yep. this indent in our nose and they're like, it shows on camera. It looks like you guys just took off a pair of like, heavy glasses from the 80s or something so they yeah. started putting the sponges right there so there was all these little macgyver things that people yeah. these little you know there was some ingenuity going on from the makeup department to make these yeah. things uh, better and uh, we all started working together you know uh, a lot better and people were contributing and saying this we could do this better and can you help me out here to keep things rolling and um and you know we shot for another three weeks and we got that movie done and i was just really really grateful yeah. i was feeling some anxiety in the beginning because um you know, it's a film set. It's intimate. You're in an enclosed space for hours and hours. Yeah. But those steps they were taking, like no food and drink on set. You know, you guys are like the captain, be like, you guys are way too close. Go outside. You want to have the conversation? Go outside. Go yeah. outside. So after a while, I, I felt pretty good about it. I felt pretty good about going to work. And it was happy. I was happy to do again, you know, even up to the last day, I was still hitting the water bottle on my, my face mask. <laughs> It's forgetting completely my math sometimes. Like yeah. you jump out of the car in the morning, you're tired. You've got a first day, you know, a 5 a.m., 6 a.m. call time. Yeah. And you get out of the vehicle and I'm like. And it was so yeah. new too, so new. right? You yeah. got your mask and someone's like, your mask. And you're like, oh my God, three weeks I've been doing this and I forget my mask again. Yeah. Okay, I'll go back to it. Yeah. Um, I'm just grateful that we got back and I'm grateful that this industry here in BC, uh, you know, it kept going and yeah. people did their part. And for the most most part, from what I've heard, you know, everyone involved was like, look, it was hard and people were irritable at times because it was difficult because it was different than what we've done for, mm. you know, however many years we've been in the industry individually, but people did their part. And as a result, you know, the industry is booming and it's doing well and people are still at work. And yeah. that's important, man, because so many people lost their jobs. I, I was a Kitsilano native for, you know, 17, 18 years I lived in that wonderful neighborhood. Did you really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, I pretty much my whole existence, the studio and everything where I live, like it's all kids. I love kids. Huh. I love kids. The thing is off and on, you know, for 13 years, I was down in LA for part of the year or for like a year at a time or two years at a time, but I always had a home there. Kids was always dear to me. And um, to see how many small businesses, businesses dear to me, mom and pop businesses, mm. People would work their asses off and they're hard enough and fighting like high real estate costs. And, you know, um, it was hard enough for them to survive. And then COVID came along and it just, it put the nail in the coffin for, for a lot of them. And that was it. They just, yeah. uh, it's really heartbreaking to see that. So every day I've been grateful that people in our industry were able to work and that eased some of the stress of this pandemic and people were able to, you know, pay their bills and, and, and support their families. And 
um, because a lot of people haven't been able to do that and they've had a really, really tough go. And, you know, briefly on, you know, you talk about the mental illness. uh, Hmm. I can't even imagine um, where we're at right now collectively uh, as as a species uh, in terms of mental illness because as a result of this pandemic. I worry. um, I mean, I've been doing... I've been look, I've been taking care of my mental health for a few years now. So like I have my toolkit. Uh, I have you know I know what to do when certain things happen. Um, I worry about people for whom this is all new, you know, yeah. and who don't have the toolkit, who don't know, you know, who, who just don't have that that kind of relationship with their mental health to be like, okay, this is. This something is wrong, and I need help. You know, um, mm. and especially this happening at the same time as an opioid crisis. I also worry about children and their mental health. I've seen it in oh. my daughter. I've seen it in her. You know, in her classmates, the anxiety that they feel. You know, you can't because we couldn't just keep it all from them. Every like just the way that they live their lives has changed. You know, so it's that's the crisis that I'm. Yeah. I'm really worried about, but I also see a role in in the entertainment industry in addressing these things. I see a role mm-hmm. in social media, people speaking out about this stuff, like to, mm-hmm. to normalize the discussion. I also see that yeah. that is, that's important, but I, I, yeah, I don't think we've spent enough time, you know, um, address, like, I mean, granted we're, we are also, we're dealing with PPE and we were, de- you know, dealing with trying to get everybody vaccinated, but this is a, this, this is going to be, this is already a huge issue and it's going to become, you know, um, even more apparent as, you know, we move, try to move back into a normal society, you know, in the normal way of things. And people have this trauma, you know, the PTSD from being scared all the time or being angry at their neighbors or, or whatever, you know, that's what I'm really worried about. I think, I think, um, you know, you made a lot of good points there. I, I really feel, you know, even if optimistically things, got really good. Like, you know, we got, we got a complete hold on this virus. We got the herd immunity, you know, most people are vaccinated. Things start going back to normal. The conversations that you, the topics that you talked about that are so important, mental health specifically, and how people are going to deal with it and people talking about this experience. um, It's important for us all to champion those conversations and to keep them going. Cause it's not, nobody's going to figure out anything, even from a, bureaucratic viewpoint for the government, they've really got to figure out where they shit the bed because they Mm -hmm. did it many, many different ways. I championed so much of what they've done, but there's also a lot of things that they didn't do well. Um, And and unfortunately, as a result, you know, some family members weren't able to say goodbye to a loved one. There's nothing more heartbreaking to me to think about. If you're passing away, you're at a point in your life and you're an elder and you have family and you've been told that you can't say goodbye to them and you've got to do it on a screen and you have to pass without them. It goes against everything that we are as humans. Yeah. That is what family is for. That's what loved ones are for. So that when you do pass, if you're at that point, to know, to take that solace, to take that love and that strength, to know that your family's with you. Yeah. And the government at times said, because for whatever reason, it's a different conversation, but like, you know, we can't allow it right now. Yeah. And yet we're going to allow you to go to the grocery store and, you know, with 3,000 other people shoulder to shoulder and, and go shopping because that's important. Yeah. Uh, in these big brand name stores, stuff like that. It just doesn't equate for me. And it's really frustrating. But again, these conversations have to happen. I think there needs to be commissions. They need, we need to talk about everything. We need to talk about the mental health. 
again, going back to the example, I don't think there's a, there's been an experience where humanity has collectively gone through such a um, traumatic thing. And again, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, this, it's hard to compare this to like a world war. If you think about the second world war, right? That's one of the last times where that was a world war. Yeah. 60 million human beings died in that yeah. war. 60 million. We had a fraction of the population at the time. Everybody was suffering. Everyone was involved in that. Yeah. Collectively, how did they move on from that? This is at a time where PTSD wasn't discussed. It wasn't talked mm-hmm. about. The PTSD was, was uh, for, for men especially, um, who, who survived the war, was you go to the Legion and you drink. That's, mm. that, that was your, uh, your that was your veteran affairs yeah they call yeah. It, you were shell-shocked that was what they exactly. would say yeah and that was the term for it back in the yeah. day how, how are you going to deal with it yeah go down with the boys and uh drink your sorrows away and tell your war stories um it's really unfortunate luckily we're at a time in uh, history for humanity where we're really really uh talking about um mental health and it's not there's not such a stigma to it anymore and it is really important when actors specifically uh, public figures, anyone of any notoriety, a celebrity puts it at the forefront and uses social media to express that, hey, man, I suffer from it too. It's a real thing. You shouldn't feel embarrassed. We have to have discussions about it. Yeah. Um, you know, because uh, suicide levels, uh, as I understand it, through this 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 thing have just been, um, they've gone up a considerable amount. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's just heartbreaking to think that people... Uh, people got to a point in their lives where they just, they couldn't do it anymore. And that's something that's always. That hopelessness. Yeah. Yeah. I know families, uh, dear families of mine who've uh, had loved ones who've taken their life. And I I just, you know, those, those families are scarred forever. They're never the same. And um, it's tragic. It's something that I've, I've been putting the feelers out and I really want to lend my, my, uh, my, whatever, my, my, my heart, my, my, anything that I can to, to, to help that cause. You know, suicide, unfortunately, with uh, indigenous communities, is just, it's an astounding level for, for you know, indigenous people who compromise or uh, compose, um, I, think they, I think they equal to about 5% of the population. You know, yeah. suicide levels in, in Inuit communities are, especially with youth, are 11 times that in the na- national average. 11 mm. times. You can imagine when one or two or three kids take their life in a small community, what it does to it. It's, it's devastating. And and, yeah. and, um, and it's the same with, you know, uh, other indigenous communities too. It's five to six times the national average. Yeah. Uh, this pandemic hasn't been easy. Uh, a lot of those, ca- those communities are already suffering from the fact that they're so isolated. Um, all the, the systemic cultural problems that are, you know, it's a long conversation, but are as a result of uh, the reservation system, dependency on the government, uh, residential schools. I mean, uh, I know we're we're going off in a different tangent here, but um, well, know, it's important to you. I mean, you do you do. This is a big part of, uh, and you know, I mean. And, and this is what happens, Tomo. I know you haven't listened to the podcast much, but I always have a plan and then we go somewhere else because that's how conversations work, right? You know, but I know in your, you know, in, in recent years, uh, you've definitely been using your social media to, to spread the word about Indigenous issues. Um, and I also know that in your work, increasingly, 
you know, you and I, I want to also talk specifically about Carrie and the Dead Girl, which I know is, uh, which I mentioned is Grace Dove's directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is uh, that that you are, exp- you know, uh, exploring that more uh, in in your work, and that there are more opportunities. Um, for you know representation of of all of these you know things that that are a result of um settler colonialism uh you know the the murder and missing indigenous women and the and the opioid crisis but also you know to see representations of indigenous joy and indigenous excellence as well um you know can, can we stay for people who might not be aware though why this is so important to you i mean besides the fact that you're a human being and you care uh and we, we should all care about this um anybody who who is on this land should care about this but you know can, can you talk a bit about your personal well, connection to this well, well said yeah but you know i i'm i'm uh i'm i'm denny i'm i identify with my uh my uh my indigenous side you know from my from my mother's side uh you know i grew up in the yukon i was was more in touch and raised more um, with my indigenous side, my culturally uh, yeah. and uh, even geographically, where I was raised uh, than I was my, you know, my father's side, my British Welsh side. Um, you know, I had great grandparents on both sides, and, and that dichotomy, that, that the two different ends of, of cultures to be raised by that, you know, I think it's it's really unique for a lot of people. Uh, but it's 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 dear to me, and those issues are important to me, and. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know that about me because of the way I look. I'm a big, mm. tall, white, freckly guy. But it's uh, these issues are very, very important to me. And, uh, you know, my mother is a residential school survivor. And uh, ever since I was, I can remember, I've been um, fiercely passionate and, uh, and uh, you know, I've let a lot of the anger that I used to have uh, about what transpired in residential schools and specifically to my mother and most of her peer group and our family. Um, I've, I've, I've tried to channel that anger into uh, trying to make it a more of a, a channel it into a, po- a positive drive towards mm. uh, uh, bringing attention to these issues and speaking about them and educating people because I can't tell you for how long, you know, I've been doing conventions throughout the world and even in Canada, it's always been surprising to me and heartbreaking that so many Canadians were like, wow, I had no idea that happened in residential schools. What is that? I mean, what, what an absolute gross failure of the education system to, yeah. to not talk about this. I just turned 46. When I was in grade seven, social studies, I remember not even a chapter discussing and it was it was like uh, some you know some unfortunate things happened in the residential school system i think that was it it was you know you could you could sum it up to a sentence yeah i, I will i will add though when you were in school when i was in school uh there were still residential schools i mean i believe the last residential school in canada closed in 1996 right so you know it was <laughs> cultural genocide you know and oh, right. uh you're not going to, the government is not going to put it, they had not for the longest time put it in the textbooks, right? It was, yeah. I, I'm ashamed to say that I, di- I didn't, I didn't know about it. But you know, you know that, 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 that ignorance, it's, it's, that's a failure of the education system, 100%. And yeah. that has to change and it is changing, but you know, there's so much more work to be done. Yeah. There's so much more work to be done. You know, people need to be educated about the first peoples of this, of this, this continent. Um, yeah. Very important. And uh, you know, children, you know, it's said all the time, but children, they're not born being racist. If you watch small children, those of us who are parents, you think about your child and you see them at a park 
when they engage with someone who's not of the same color or ethnic background or religion of them, they, they're blind to that. They may be curious about it because they're not used to seeing it, but they, they don't have that in them. It's yeah. taught, it's learned. So we need to combat that, that, um, that ignorance, that, that, that miseducation, that hatred that, that is as a result, it's passed down. Unfortunately, people teach this to their kids and yeah. learn it from an uncle or an aunt or it's their entire family or it's one person that they look up to and they, and they um, you know, they regurgitate that poison that this person has taught yeah. them. It all stems from fear. It's yeah. all fear. And, it's, and we have to, if we, if we tackle it at an educational level, Culturally, we're, we're going to make huge, huge steps forward in, yeah. uh, in, uh, in, in battling racism. It's, it's, it's about being culturally sensitive. It's about understanding the land that you're on. It's about the first peoples that came here. And there's so many different cultures across this, this, this continent. Um, you know, indigenous peoples worldwide, how rich their culture and history is. And, you know, like you said, cultural genocide, the government... It's a well-established system, you know, by the Brits. I'm part British. That was one of the largest empires in the world, and they'd established and developed this this system uh, over centuries. Yeah. And uh, they're fantastic at it. And you, you bend you bend to people. You try and break them. And you destroy their language. You destroy their children, number one, by taking away their language and their pride. Yeah. Uh, and the things that have occurred at these residential schools. And, you know, when they come back, it's amazing what they did in 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 the matter of two short generations, it's just astounding. Yeah. Um, you know, my grandmother was, was English was her second language. And because of proximity of where we are, our people are in the Alaska, uh, Yukon, uh, area, like, you know, a lot of my, my relatives, my great grandfather, uh, you know, his parents would have had little to no contact with any settlers before the second world war, even some of them, because, mm. you know, the highway wasn't built through Alaska attaching it. Um, until, you know, the Second World War. Yeah. So some of those people up there, like it was the last place on this continent that actually, you know, had settler contact. That said, Russians were, uh, you know, all over Alaska at different times. You know, the Hudson Bay Company did go quite far in terms of trading or what have you. But yeah, uh, there's just, there's so much work to be done. This is something that at my age and stage in life, I really... I'm trying to bring more attention to these issues. I constantly struggle with social media because mm. um, you can get stuck or feel guilty about not talking about every single issue. I've found with myself, and I know, and I have to be honest with myself, to balance being a present father and loving partner and uh, good to myself and giving myself the time that I require. There's that mental health stuff, right? Exactly. There's only so much social media I can do. And some travesty might happen. Some horrible thing might happen. I'm not the first to just jump on. Uh, Sometimes I just can't. I can't because I can't even process it. And uh, I know how much it's going to affect my day. And I might need to be there for, you know, my family before I can be there before that cause. And I've started really acknowledge that and uh, I don't buy into the guilt of people like not speaking on an issue right away because sometimes you just need to take your time and if it is important then you jump on board but you can do it at your own time I've had to balance it because when things are really bad on social media man it it just wreaks havoc in my brain and my heart you just can feel so hopeless sometimes for you you have to do you have to do what is good for your mental health. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious, you know, we talked, you talked about education being really important in, 
you know, in, in alerting people to the the legacies, the travesties of, you know, of, of settler colonialism and, you know, in, in, in edu- you know, in educating people and, and changing perspectives, because I think that's also really important, changing perspectives, affecting hearts and minds. But I also feel like entertainment, film and television has a role to play in that as well, you know, so I'm like, let, let us begin a little bit of time travel then, um, which I always love to do on this podcast. You know, I'd like to go back to, you know, to your childhood growing up, you know, what were, what were the, the representations, you know, of Indigenous people that you were seeing on screen, if at all, how did they, and how did they impact you? And I'm, I'm also really curious about, you know, your, your identity maneuvering through this industry, you know, where people might not they might not know. They haven't done the, done the work. They haven't done the research. They, they haven't paid attention to your social media. They don't know that these issues are, that they haven't known that these, that, that you are indigenous. Like this is, this is a huge part of who you are, you know, um, and in encountering racism, you know, that, that is directed towards you, even if they don't know they're directing it towards you, mm-hmm. because they don't, they don't know that you're indigenous. Please yep. find whatever questions you like from that word jumble and yep. go. Well, briefly, you know, it, it is important. And storytelling is, this is why we're so passionate about it. it it's it, this medium, uh, you know, film and television, it's something that goes across the board. Uh, it's incredible, a powerful film, even if you don't understand the language. And I've watched movies where, you know, I didn't know the language. There was no subtitles. Mm. Just of what's happening. That's how powerful the visual medium of film is. Right. It's important. It's important. I remember years ago when uh, this incredible film, um, this uh, Iranian film, uh, uh, won Best Foreign Film. And it was, it was a time where in Iran-U.S. relations were, you know, they were at the point again where it was like, okay, we're, you know, we're going to war with Iran. Mm. And I thought that was really brave of the Academy. And I can't, you know, sometimes... Anyway, I thought it was really brave of the Academy that year. And hopefully not brave. Hopefully it was just honest. The fact that they celebrated this film. And these are the films that Americans need to see. And when I say Americans, or anybody who doesn't travel, who doesn't get out, who isn't culturally sensitive, who is ethnocentric by nature because they've never left their bubble. They don't understand that there are different ways of doing things. There's beauty. They have a homogenous, it's a very homogenous gaze. You have to be a discreet, but when you're a guest somewhere else, you have to understand that the the humanity is so rich and wild and vast and beautiful. Like, um, you know, anyway, that's the power of film. We bring stories from other people's lives and cultures and we can, we empathize with them. That's what humans do. We see these stories. People need to see films from different countries. They need to open it up. That is the beauty of like all this, this streaming and these new stories, the amount of content that's being produced. Mm. I would hope, and I would encourage everyone out there, get outside of your bubble watch movies from a country or a series or a television show or a short film that you've never seen before that you would never yeah. watch. Check or, or indigenous films that are made on this land here as well. 100%. I've, there's incredible. And it's happening right now. There's a yeah. movement and it's being, celebra- it's being uh, uh, embraced by the industry and encouraged right now more than it has for a very long time. And I'm so proud of that. And I'm so happy to have been involved even during this pandemic to, in two different uh, indigenous uh, productions. And I'm two. I'm, I'm, wow. Two. Yeah. Two. Yes. And I can't, I can't wait to do more. And I'm, I'm, I've been praying for it for years. I've been yeah. asking for it. Uh, wondering why it didn't come, uh, you know, a few years back when I really put it out there and just, 
And now it's finally come. Sometimes things happen when you just don't expect it. It yeah. came when it should have, and it's the right time for it. Um, we can get back on the subject. I want to talk briefly about the points you made. You know, growing up as a child, because of the way I look, constantly, and Yukon isn't a big place. Whitehorse, my own town, isn't a big place. But still, it didn't matter. There was a lot of people who were completely ignorant of the fact that, uh, uh, you know, um, that uh, I'm Indigenous, and uh, I'm also British and Welsh, and... Uh, the amount of racist shit, uh, the, 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 the vitriol, the poison that was spit at me uh, growing up and the anger that I had as a result and the shit, the, the confrontations, the arguments, the jobs that I lost almost as a result of getting into confrontations with people because they spit out some nasty shit and I ended up yelling and shouting and, you know. Jobs up, up, up north? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I had one job where, you know, I, unfortunately an, an older um person but also you know the uh it was a family who, who ran this business and uh, she was kind of the matriarch of the business but she just said some just some nasty bigoted shit and i just i was trying to bite my tongue and then i just started calling her out and i'm like 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 what's what's wrong with you where where do you get off saying that are you, are you generalizing everybody because of this one individual i said yeah, you, you, that's the most bigoted racist shit and she started getting super defensive and coming down on me because she had no idea and she was wondering why she thought I was attacking her mm. and she thought I was going to play game. We were going to sit there and talk some shit about this native person, this, this indigenous guy who had just gone by, who, who was, who was actually, um, as I remember it, uh, was, uh, was, uh, you know, he was, um, a significant member of a, a very large indigenous band in, 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 in the Yukon. And, uh, they had weight and power and they, they should be revered and respected, especially this guy. He was a very smart guy, but she just said some nasty shit. It ended up turning into a fight. I had the managers come out, a couple of the owners. I l ended up living everyone off and leaving the place. Can't believe I'm sharing this with the world. Hmm. Uh, we, uh, we ended up making it better though. They apologized and we had to sit down and she acknowledged that she said some horrible stuff. And I acknowledged that I overreacted in my passionate 18 year old self. And we made it okay, and I, I actually went back to the job. But I, I grew up that way all the time, and it, it uh, breaks my heart. My beautiful, beautiful, powerful matriarch of a grandmother who was so respected throughout the Yukon Territory in Alaska. This is a woman who could speak multiple indigenous languages. She was fiercely intelligent. You've never met a more honest person in your life. And as a result, mm. she was terrifying for a lot of people. Uh, yes yeah, she was she was just a force to be reckoned with and i reckon i i i love that woman and i spent so much time with her but you know she'd be walking down the street with this this little white freckly kid and people were always like is she babysitting what's the deal and i saw because she didn't speak english well i saw people take advantage of her when i was too young that i didn't have i didn't have the the strength the fortitude the bravery to call them out because I was just yeah. a little kid. I was seven or eight. I saw her ripped off two different times in two different businesses in the Yukon Territory. And people did it straight up because she was she was native and she was older. She didn't speak English well and they purposely ripped her off, like charged her more money. Yeah. Uh, when I think about those things, it makes me red with fury. Um, again, a lot of that anger that I had when I was younger, I try and use it now. Now I still hear this shit. I, I did a professional gig three, four years ago on the lead of the show. Oh. The most ignorant shit I've ever heard. And he said it in front of a, a, a very prominent, one of the supporting actors on the show, uh, an African-American. And he spit this out and he said it to me when he found out because somehow it came up. He, you know, most people ask about my name. They're like, what is that name? And I was like, uh, 
it, like it's really odd and i was like it's an indigenous name i'm i'm, I'm indigenous and he's like indigenous what is that and i'm like a native because you're a native and he's like, yeah and he goes indians he goes yeah like you know he literally said this he said he said the the most stereotypical tired old he said something about like indians aren't they all you know drunk and no you know it's uh, no. sucking on sucking on gas or some shit like this and i was doing a scene with him this was in between our takes. It was going onto my coverage and I'm supposed to be shooting out, spitting out a bunch of exposition. If we were in the same situation, uh, I might've asked him to go outside and have a little gentleman uh, uh, talk with him. Yeah. Uh, maybe a couple smacks before I, you know, said some, try to speak some sanity to him. But at the same time, I just, I it's just, It's hard to speak that to people who don't, who are just so, they don't, they refuse to see the humanity because that's also yeah. part of settler colonialism, right? You rob people of their humanity, you know? You just want a time in a professional capacity, but to hear this, from what I heard, people just kept telling me how nice this guy was and he just spit out the shit and I was like, fuck, you're an idiot. I, I, I said something to him and it wasn't, it wasn't too rude, but I was like, man, that has got to be some of the rudest shit I've ever heard. I go, I'm going to do my take and we can talk about this conversation later. Anyway, I ran into the guy a few different times. We actually ended up working out at the same gym in, uh, in LA and he was trying to talk to me. And uh, I was in the middle of beating the bag at the time. And uh, I, I chose not to carry on my conversation with him because I've also realized too, if the time and the place, sometimes people will say some ignorant shit to me and I'll call them out very calmly um, let them know who I am and what's wrong with their statements mm. and, uh, and how damaging uh, and, uh, and uh, wrong it is to go around spitting out poison like that yeah. um, and how I'm not someone who's going to receive it. And if they think there's an audience for it, they're hanging out with the wrong people and they have a, they have a duty if they are a good person, if they truly are a good person to do their part in, in not spreading uh, a stereotypical, uh, you know, tired, old, racist, bigoted statements like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but again, back to my point, I've realized you take the time when it's right and the situation's right. I don't get as angry as I used to, depending mm -hmm. on the situation and depending on who it's coming from. Uh, I will take the time with certain people to, uh, to correct them yeah. um, uh, and trying to educate them a little bit. And uh, only if I see that they're actually open to receiving the information and, uh, and uh, the error in their ways, but uh, some people just aren't and they're not worth your time. And this individual wasn't, he's a yeah. well, someone who just wasn't worth the time. Have yeah. you, have you noticed changes in, in how, Indigenous people are represented on screen, especially, you know, over the decades, what, like watching television, you know, and film through that Indigenous lens, you know, and, and then working in the industry, you know, and now working on these projects, you know, like, are, are you seeing a, a change, a, a positive change or any change? Like, what change are you seeing? You know, I was a I was a CBC kid. We we didn't have cable, and you know, I watched Disney all the time. And I used to get infuriated because half the movies, these Disney movies that were, you know, of like initial settler, you know, colonial times when people were first arriving, you know, the cowboys and Indians, they were so tired and bigoted and ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, there was I remember seeing this one like Davy Crockett, and I, I must be twelve or thirteen. It's not that yeah. long ago, and it was it was just Sabrina was was fucking ridiculous. You yeah. Know, this, he was rolling along and he, you know, he took out like 26 Indians, just, you know, they were all running at him like idiots, a bunch of stuntmen painted brown and he just beat them all. And, you know, the, the, the way they spoke, the way they represented, they were, they were, they were, 
they were represented in such a, a derogatory and negative way. It made yeah. them look like they were less than. They were really, really trying to prove that whole savage thing and and yeah. uh, and uh, and just belittle uh, uh, fiercely intelligent and, and powerful people. Whatever nation it was, they they were trying to represent, which I guarantee they weren't. They were just uh, they were amalgamating a whole di- bunch of different ones and some. Some you know makeup department and art department and costumes who had no knowledge of indigenous people just kind of fabricated some stuff. It's just it's been misrepresented for so long, and yeah. now it's um, we're at the point, and I'm so happy that it's being embraced that indigenous people are making their own content now. Yeah. The industry is accepting it, and there's some really powerful stories out there. But there's yeah. still a lot of people, unfortunately, who are who are taking advantage of um, indigenous identity and, and misrepresenting themselves and uh, doing harm. We won't get into that conversation. We won't get into that, but but, uh, that, I mean, Google pretendian and a lot of interesting stuff will come up and you can read about people who, who, you know, alleged to have uh, identity because of some relative in the 1600s that, you know, does not represent at all being part of a community, you know, or, or anything, but they take advantage of lots of grants. And that you might think I'm talking about one person, but there are lots and lots of them. It it's isn't just the one. Yeah, no, it happens a lot, which is really the, the, the incredible amount of damage that it does. The damage that it does, uh, the missed opportunity for, for actual indigenous creators um, uh, is, 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 is so damaging and, 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 and defeating for them. Um, yeah. because, you know, they're struggling. They're struggling. Nobody's doing great right now. There's a handful of people who are working regularly, but even those are working their asses off, trying to get their hand on some grand money, trying to make these projects happen. And unfortunately in the business, you know, you might have a great idea and it was a great idea yesterday. If it's been passed over already, people are moving on. Now you have to like recreate something else because that wasn't received when you had that opportunity. That said, going back to, um, I love that you're trying to keep track of all the questions. I am. I'm so impressed. I am. That's, yeah, I'm, I don't know that I'm doing a good job at it. I watched my father, who was a politician. He was fantastic at it. Uh, every once in a while, I have my moments. But, um, you know, I've worked on two Indigenous projects. Um, and uh, in the last, like during the, co- the pandemic, and they yeah. were fantastic. Um, <clears throat> through a dear friend of mine, she's, uh, she is an uh, Indigenous creator, director, actress, Stephanie uh, Mathias. Um, she, uh, she, we hadn't seen each other for years and we were in the Whistler uh, screenwriters, Indigenous screenwriters fellowship mm. last year at Whistler. And I hadn't seen her in a long time. We'd kept in touch over Twitter. I think you, don't you mean two years ago at Whistler? Two? Of course it's two. Yeah, because I, I saw you guys up there. Yeah. <laughs> it Chris, was two ago. It yeah. was 2019. Two yeah. December. Yeah, so you made great. a connection. You reconnected then after all those years. And she introduced yeah. me to a dear friend of hers. Um, and uh, his name's Andrew. And him and his sister are, are uh, just incredibly talented. They're fiercely bright, driven uh, indigenous activists. They're, um, they're, 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 they're fantastic and talented creators. And, and uh, we've since uh, made a film together. Uh, Andrew is a fantastic writer and uh, he, uh, he had a script and he had telephone funding and he was talking about it. And I really didn't think he was going to bring it together as quickly as he did. And he's like, Hey man, can we shoot on these dates? And I'm like, 
you know, like, are we, you think it's going to happen? You've got everything in place. He's like, we got it all. It's all falling into place. And I helped out as much as I could. And, and uh, we all came together and we made a film in three weeks and we had yeah. you know, just an incredible cast. And I got to work with uh, Jennifer Podemski, who I'd always been a fan of. Wow. Yeah, Jen's a, Jen's a heavyweight, man, she's yeah. good. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> it was so great. I met her years ago. I'd worked with her sister for the, um, uh, the, uh, the Indigenous Award Show that she, uh, she did. Uh, powerhouse family, seriously. They really are powerhouse family. Wow, those women powerful. Yeah. So much of my grandmother. Uh, but anyway, to work with Jen, uh, we, you know, we played uh, we played husband and wife, and we just had some great scenes together. Man, seeing yeah. her work was such a pleasure. It's it 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 just uh, I love it. It reminded me why I love this craft so much. Yeah. And something to be said again about doing independent film, whether it's you know you're in class or you're doing something where you don't have the same pressures of say a, you know an episodic television. Uh, you know, a network thing where it's, it's, uh, it can feel very much, it can get robotic after a while. You know, a lot of the shows like that, you're, a lot of it is just exposition. You're moving the story along. You don't have, as an actor, a lot to do. You're yeah. there to spit out the words and to inform the audience. And uh, it's hard for us as artists to really connect to that sometimes. And it can get robotic. And that's sometimes when you see actors start to bitch or complain, even though they've got the dream, they're getting the big paycheck. They're yeah. Work-wise, as the artist, the artist is being satisfied by doing it. Mm. And, you know, you do these things like independent film. And, and uh, you know, you work with Jennifer Podemski and this talented this Amazing. Talking about Stephanie and everyone comes through. And, you, you know, my heart was just full after doing that production. And, yeah. You know, we're talking low budget. We have to get things done. You know, it's a typical Canadian production. You've got a few cracks at a, uh, uh, you know, a, a take, a few takes, and then you got to move on. But it works a different muscle, and it's really satisfying. And I'm so fiercely proud of these guys and excited to be working with them in the future and the projects that we're going to be making. And as a result of these guys, they've introduced me to so many different, just through social media and just through conversation, different Indigenous creators out there who are, working their asses off trying to get things made things yeah. are happening you're going to see a real like this next five six ten years there's going to be indigenous content uh the likes that have never been seen before and it's yeah. going to be incredible this marks the end of part one in our two-part conversation with tom openiket look for part two in your podcast feeds the wavier screen scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by myself Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane Not Furminger Davile for the original music. Wavier Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! In the current COVID-19 environment, UBCP ACTRA, the BC Performers Union in the film and TV industry, has been working closely with industry partners, formulating sensible and practical guidelines for all cast and crew to ensure working on set is manageable and safe for everyone. UBCP ACTRA has created a dedicated COVID-19 webpage at www.ubcpactra.ca where members can find mental health resources, financial assistance information, and back-to-work strategies and updates about the current status of film production in the province of British Columbia.
UBCP Actra knows this has been an extraordinarily difficult time for many people, and we look forward to better days ahead. We will get through this together. Please visit www.ubcpactra.ca. A message from UBCP Actra.